You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I've been talking to you about some things that I believe that are often misunderstood by the religious world and by the church world. And uh, trying to set the record straight for us. Just to make sure that, that, that we are all on the same page. We understand what the Bible teaches. And remember last week I talked to you about my grandson who, because of his tradition, could not, would not take the chocolate milk because he didn't get to pour it. And he loves chocolate milk, but as soon as his grandmother poured it for him and stuck the lid on there and, and she, did all the, she did all the work, he just grabbed that chocolate milk and threw it in the floor because he couldn't get over his tradition. His tradition with me was that he pours the chocolate in. And so I, I find that if it goes that far back to a three-year-old, not even quite three yet, if it goes that far back to a two-and-a-half-year-old, then it must be that there's something innate in us naturally that makes us cling to our traditions, okay? And I realize that this series of teachings that I've been doing uh, are a bit iconoclastic, that is, clash with icons, and meaning that we have some traditions that we, we have to hold loosely and some that we just have to turn loose of because uh, the, the Bible is real clear on certain things. And we uh, are going through some of those things to try to make sure that our lives are built around the standard that is set for all of us. It, it should not be that the Christian church says, well, that church believes that, but, you know, they, they're okay, and we love them, and, and, but we believe this, and, and we don't believe that, we don't believe that, and we, we don't believe that. You know, what we believe ought not to be identified by all that we don't believe. We ought to be able to say what we do believe. Do you understand? We shouldn't have all these divisions. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying there shouldn't be multiple churches. I'm saying all these variations in our doctrine. And the Bible is really quite clear. I am one that believes anybody can understand the entire Bible. See, I didn't get a lot of enthusiasm about that because you've been taught that you can't. And the church has proven. Listen, the church, by virtue of its divisions and its denominationalism, and its separation and its walls all through it has proven that they don't believe that you can understand the Scriptures because everybody's got their own idea about everything. I, I want to do my best to tear down those walls because I am not interdenominational. I'm not non-denominational. I am anti-denominational. And I'm not against any people in the world. I'm not against God's people at all. But the denominations on their best day serve to separate the body of Christ one from another. That's all they're good for. That's really all they're good for, to try to protect this little pet doctrine everybody has. Well, I just, years ago, I just decided, I laid my hand on my Bible, and I said, Now, Father, I don't know much, but I'm going to read this Bible, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to understand it. I believe I can understand it. I believe this book, you, writ, you wrote it to me. They don't make owner's manuals, as, as Everett was saying. They don't make an owner's manuals where the owner can't understand what it's saying. They make, owner, they make owner's manuals where the owner can understand what it's saying so he knows how to operate his vehicle. Am I right, Everett? I, I, I'm from Thackerville, Oklahoma, and I can understand my owner's manual. I went to school at Thackerville High. I graduated from there, and that's the school that if you get an education, well, it's your own fault. <laughs> and I got one. <laughs> But I laid my hand on my Bible and I said, Father, I, I don't understand everything in here, but I believe I can. I believe you wrote this book to me. How many of you, how many of you believe you have a Bible that you can understand? Yes. 
We can understand it thoroughly. But you need some guidance. God didn't make it that clear in the Scriptures that everybody could just understand by reading it. That's why he said in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and our primary job in the fivefold ministry of Jesus is to explain the Bible. That is our primary job, explain the Bible. My, one of my jobs is to, is to provide a, an atmosphere here as a senior pastor here, Miss Ann and I, uh, to provide a place where you can worship and have freedom. And we sing songs just in case. Just in case you've got an inkling in there in somewhere inside you that you want to dance. So we sing a song that says, I'm free to dance. Glory to God. Now, if you don't dance, that's your business. You're perfectly, you're perfectly welcome not to dance. We don't say you got to dance. It's, you're, you're fine just sitting there with your hands folded if you want to. That's your business. That's between you. But you're free to dance. And by the way, sometimes we have people here that just kind of lose their minds. We've got one brother that sits here on the front row most of the time named Larry. Larry will just lose his mind for Jesus. Amen. Once in a while, he'll just, go, he'll just go dancing around everywhere and just go, well, and, and, and we got one of our elders over here, his wife, she'll grab a flag and start running around this place like she's at the grand entry of the rodeo or something, you know. <laughs> but you understand, what? That's, that's, that's okay. You're free to do that. You're free to worship the Lord however you, you choose. And, but if, you, if you're one that likes to fold your hands, be careful. Be careful that not, not to throw the chocolate milk in the floor when you see somebody else doing it, when you see somebody else breaking your tradition, when you see them running wild and go, you know, dancing and having a good time. And, because listen to me, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know that Larry, he has been through H-E-L-L with his health. And he just tickled pink to be alive and to be here in the presence of God. And when he shows up, he throws his body toward worship. He throws his whole body toward worship because he's just glad to be alive. You don't judge somebody because of how you think they're, you don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know why they need to worship. You don't know why they need to be expressive. Just let it be. And that's one of the reasons why we're here, to provide that kind of atmosphere so you can come with a community of faith and express your love to God. God loves it when his people come together and worship him together. But let me tell you, that's not my, mind, my main job. My main job is to explain the Bible to you. Because I don't have a word from God except His Word. Amen. Praise God. Except His Word. Now when the gifts are flowing and the prophetic words out there, you know that's a word from God. Sure, sure, sure. The Lord gives me those and our elders flow in that and that's what we're going to do tonight. Minister to you in the Spirit. Amen. We believe in that. We believe in the power of the Holy Ghost here. But there's some things, there's some things that this setting the record straight, this for the record series that we're doing, it attacks some of the things that we've been taught. And uh, I want to explain it to you today, if you'll allow me. All right, enough intro. We're at number 21 of these 30, I said 32. Well, I keep studying and I found 33. So we're going to have 33 of these, Israel. Yeah, I know you've... <laughs> Got it up there on the overhead, but I'll give you the 33rd one when we get to it. But right now we're at truth number 21. Hang on to your seats. This may be exciting. Speaking in tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what I didn't say. I did not say speaking in tongues is evidence that you're saved. That's just not true. I did not say that speaking in tongues, you got to speak in tongues to prove that you're saved. That's just not true. The Bible does not teach that. You have to be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. This is what the Bible teaches, clearly. We've already talked about that, I think, in, uh, extensively. 
But speaking in tongues is the initial evidence. Every time in the scriptures, it not mm, every time in scriptures, when they, when they were filled with the Spirit, they were speaking in tongues. When they spoke by the Spirit, they were speaking in tongues in that because Paul gives us the definition in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to give you some scripture here today that will help you. Help you explain your faith to people. Help you explain why. See, people say, well, why do y'all do all that yabba-dabba-doo stuff? All that, all that, you know, I, I think I told you the story about my little niece was praying with my daughter. My daughter was a young teenager. She might have been 12, 13. And uh, our little niece was living with us. And they got down on their knees every night and prayed by the bed, you know. They'd be praying, and my daughter would pray in tongues. And the little one, little one looked up at her after they threw praying, and she pointed right at Jennifer's mouth, and she said, I want some of those. And Jennifer said, you want some of what? She said, I want some of those KDICDIs. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that holy cow? <laughs> yeah. It can be a strange thing. It can be a scary thing. Listen to me. Listen to me. If it scares you a little bit, trust me, it still scares me sometimes. I've been at this for 40-some years. I mean, I, it still scares me sometimes what the Holy Ghost does. But he is never going to relinquish charge of the church to men. Amen. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, uh, is liberty. Now the, the, now the Lord is that Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is Lord of the church. Just like Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, the Holy Spirit is Lord of the church today. And if we don't allow him into our lives in powerful dimensions and new ways, well, then he can't really be Lord. He can only be friend. Do you understand that? He'll be your friend, but he, he really is the Lord. Amen. He's supposed to be in control. So uh, Acts chapter 11. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. Let's, let's get some authentication for what the preacher just said. I know I'm taking a risk here. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not, not evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your life, but the evidence of a thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look. Acts chapter 11. And the apostle Peter, after he gets back to Jerusalem from being at Cornelius' house. We've talked about Cornelius extensively. Who was Cornelius? First, first Gentile to get saved. That is the first uncircumcised bacon-eating Gentile to get saved. Okay? He, he was the very first one that God poured his spirit out upon and proved to, to Peter that, that what had happened in Cornelius' heart was faith had already taken place in his heart. <coughs> uh, we're in Acts chapter 11. I want to read verse 15. Can we go to verse 15? We're going to read 15, 16, 17, 18. I'm going to read for a little ways. All right. Here it goes. And as I began to speak, Peter tells the people back in Jerusalem, as I began to speak, speaking of, that is, his, his time at Cornelius' house, the Holy Ghost fell on them, on Cornelius and his house, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Baptized with the Holy Ghost, see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For as much then as God gave them the gift, the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? So this is something God was doing. And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So what, what he heard them do was, we've already read back in Acts chapter 10, he heard them speak in tongues. They spoke in tongues, you see, and, the, and, and that's about it. 
And Peter goes back there and explains, it fell on them as on us in the beginning. I read the J.B. Phillips translation, I think it was. It's one of the other translations, the literal text, you know, from the Greek, where it says, it fell on them just like it did on us, in the same way it did on us. What was the same way? If, if there are all kinds of evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then, then what Peter just said is a lie. If everything can be an evidence of the Holy Spirit, then what Peter just said is a lie. He said it happened to them at Cornelius' house just like it did on us at Pentecost. There was only one thing that was like what happened at Pentecost. Just one thing that was like Pentecost. I said there was just one thing because at Cornelius' house there was no flame of fire on their heads. There was no sound of the wind. There were no Jews there except Peter. It was not a, it was not a feast day. They weren't even worshiping. Nothing like that. Nothing like that was going on. It, it was nothing like their experience except for one thing. The only similarity I can find in either of the stories, and you look them up yourself, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, they're just one identifying mark. And Peter took that one identifying mark back to his explanation in Jerusalem to them, saying why he went to Cornelius, what he saw. He says it fell on them just like it did on us. How did he know? What did Peter think was the identifying mark? Come on, shout it out. They all spoke in tongues. That's what Peter thought was the identifying mark. Is this helping you at all? I don't mean to make anybody mad. Don't throw anything. Just let me, hear me out. So Peter declared, you can, you can tell by the way he says this, and the way they all, so that, that, that calmed their fears. Okay, okay, the, okay. So they got the same gift we got. Who was I then, Peter says, that I could withstand God? Because the Lord had given them the same, the same gift. I don't want to, grind at this too much because I've already talked about Cornelius quite a bit, but there are so many powerful proofs in this. Uh, what they tell us in, in doctrinal circles, in the evangelical church world, they like to establish a major doctrine with four things. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. These are really important things. In the evangelical church world, they want us to establish a major doctrine with four points. The first one is that we must find that major doctrine. If we're going to call it a major doctrine in the church, we must find it in the Old Testament somewhere. How many of you think that's not a bad idea? I like it. I like what the evangelicals say about that. And, and number two, they say if it's a major doctrine that we're going to preach, we must find Jesus speaking of it. How many of you think that's not a bad idea either? I, I like that. And then the last two are really critical. They say if we're going to call it a major doctrine, we must have the apostles teaching it and then we must have the apostles practicing it okay so it's a four-point thing to establish major doctrine i make theologians out of all of you praise god amen so so we, we, we want major doctrine I, I agree with the whole thing and this is not spirit-filled theologians laying down this criteria you understand? It's not, 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 not people that speak in tongues that, that say we need to do this. It's, it's evangelicals. And so, which is basically the whole saved church, the whole part of the church that's really saved, born again, that doesn't speak in tongues, okay? But, but they, uh, they lay down these criteria, and I say, I agree with them. I like it. I, I, think it's, I think it's safe. How many of you know it's okay to have some safeguards in what you say you believe, okay? I, I just, I, just I, I trust that. So I put, I put speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues to that test. And guess what I found out? I found Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. Could we turn there real quick? Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. Oh, you wrote them all up there. Wow. Look at that. 
You guys are good. I'm going to double your pay today. <laughs> Zero times two. All right. Look at Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Do you understand that most of the church world still won't hear this message? It comes right out of the Old Testament which is our first rule, okay? Secondly, we must find, but, but there's, there's another Old Testament prophet. Ooh, you're going to like this. There's another Old Testament prophet who preached this. Named John the Baptist. Oh, yes, John the Baptist was still an Old Testament prophet. He was not a New Testament prophet. Jesus had not died and buried and risen again yet. He was still under the law. Jesus preached everything he preached under the law. John the Baptist preached everything he preached under the law. And how many of you believe John 3.16 is true? Let me see your hands. Everybody believe John 3.16 is true? All right. How many of you believe that Luke 3.16 is just as true? Six of you. All right. <laughs> We're going to do our best. <laughs> going to do our best to widen that a little bit. Luke 3.16. Here's what John the Baptist said about it. Luke 3.16. Caught in the mercy fallout. I f no, he didn't say that. Tried to trick me. Luke 3.16. I'll just quote it to you. Luke 3.16 says, For there stands one among you, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Luke 3.16, John, John the Baptist, an Old Testament prophet, said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Oh, so the Old Testament, Isaiah said it, and an Old, Old Testament prophet in the New Covenant, or coming into the New Covenant, he also prophesied of it. Call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And the reason I know he's talking about tongues is because he said Holy Ghost and fire. And on the day of Pentecost, what was the tongues? A cloven tongues of fire sitting on their heads. Woo, this is good. Powerful. Yeah, but that would do. I make my students at Christ for the Nations do that. Say again. 28, 11, and 12. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. Okay. So John prophesied. Now, what was our third one? The, 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 the apostles have to teach it. Well, we, we saw Peter teaching it right there in Acts chapter 11. He's teaching it. He said, then I remember the words of the Lord, how that he said, you should be baptized. He remembered those words with Cornelius. He remembered Jesus teaching about the baptism. Well, when did Jesus teach the baptism in the Holy Ghost? All right. Let's find Jesus teaching it first. Jesus taught it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's see, it's fine, Jesus teaching it. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Wow, there it is. So we've got the Old Testament twice. We've got Jesus teaching it at least once here. We also have Jesus in Mark chapter 16 say, They shall speak with new tongues, they shall raise the, cast out devils, and so forth. But. Uh, I'm not going to take you there. But then we found in apostolic teaching, the third one, okay? The third one. We had the Old Testament, Jesus, apostles teaching in Acts chapter 11. And the fourth one is, of course, Acts chapter 2. They all spoke in tongues. Everybody that was there spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place as one accord. 
Suddenly there came from heaven a sound, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Did you notice I had that memorized? They pay me to do this. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Wonderful. So, there it is in Scripture. It's not something that we fancy ourselves because, well, our church is a tongue-talking church. We're not like that at all. It, we don't do this for appeal, let me tell you that. We don't all speak in tongues to, to make us different or to try to appeal some way. Usually, usually it, it, it hurts people's feelings and they, they don't like it. You understand? If we were doing this for appeal, well, we, we'd be in the wrong business. I'm just telling you that. But we find in the Scriptures, I, as I said in the beginning, we do our best to order our lives according to what the Scriptures teach, not what we heard somebody say. I, I, usually when I teach things like this, I'll have somebody come up and say, well, brother, did you ever read what Dr. So-and-so said about that? Does Dr. So-and-so speak in tongues? Well, no. Oh, <laughs> no, I hadn't read it, and I'm not going to. Don't buy me the book. I only let certain amounts of garbage go in when I watch Fox News. I just work a certain amount of garbage. Garbage goes in. That's all I, I, that's all I, I can handle. The other is not garbage. The other is sewage. Okay. I just let certain amounts of it go in my mind because I do my best to just read my Bible, keep teaching the Bible, keep believing the Bible, dig in the Bible, look at the ancient languages and try to find out what they're saying. Uh, I, I'm not saying if you've got a comment, set of commentaries that they're useless. I'm not saying that. If you've got a set of commentaries, I'm not saying they're useless. That is, if you have a fireplace, <laughs> they're not completely useless. But I've, I've, I've searched the greatest commentaries, was forced to read the, the greatest commentarians. It's amazing how little revelation they have. Utterly shocking how, how little revelation they have. Now, if they're historians, that's a little bit different. A historian is somebody who can help you, help you understand the backdrop of certain things. But when somebody's gonna somebody who does not uh, speak in other tongues is going to teach me biblical doctrine, here's why. Here's why I want you to be wary of that. Because we have, we have given to us great, great lessons from, the, from the, those who wrote the Bible. Every last one of them spoke in tongues. All of these guys were all spirit-filled, all baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Every last one of them. Yeah. And all the churches they dealt with all spoke in tongues. The Ephesian church did. started out that way with Paul in Acts chapter 19. The Corinthian church did. They all spoke with tongues. I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying it's a cure for every ill you have. How many of you know that the Corinthians were a little bit crazy? <laughs> they were tongue talkers, but they were still crazy. I've, I've been pastoring spirit-filled churches all my all my existence, and I found there's a lot of crazy people that speak in tongues. I'm not saying it fixes everything. I'm just saying it's biblical. My job is not to tell you what, what the, the history of the church is. My job is to teach you what the Bible says. Can I have a good amen here? All right? And then we have our experience to line up with what the Bible teaches us. Amen. And if you'll do your dead level best, if you'll just do your level best to, to have your experience line up with the Scriptures, amen. Just let it line up with the Scriptures. And by, by the Scriptures I'm saying, what I mean by Scriptures, I mean what the Apostle Paul taught us, what we find in Paul's doctrine primarily. You don't want to order your life according to the book of Leviticus, I was raised in a situation, I was, I was born into a tradition that, uh, well, they were just hardcore in some things. They wouldn't allow women to wear pants. Not to church, at all. Yeah. 
you're going to be part of this church and we catch you wearing pants out in, out in public, you're going to get preached to the next week. And they're going to do their best to get you down to the altar and weep you through and all that stuff. You know, scream and cry. And... Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with screaming and crying. I mean, I'm not, you understand, if you need to do that, just help yourself. It's good. But you need to do it for the right reasons. You understand? You've got to stop begging God. In my tradition, we begged God for everything. We humbled ourselves and we wept like, like, oh, we wept and wept and wept. We wept like Jeremiah every time we went to the altar. And we'd kneel and pray and try to pray through and try to be right with God, always just trying to, trying to fix everything, rather than just believing the revelation of the Word of God, which says, by His stripes you are healed, praise God. This, this is a faith issue. It's not a crying issue. Amen. And, and being born again is not about how you can perform. Being born again is about what you will believe. That Christ actually did die for our sins. Amen. That means there's nothing for you to do. If Christ died for your sins, there's no payment due. If Christ died for your sins, there's no payment due. If Christ died for your sins, there's no payment due. Glory to God. He died, he died for your sins forward. Hallelujah. Amen. It's all about what you'll believe. But the church is still trying to beat people up and get them to repent all the time. Repent, 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 repent. Now, I'm not opposed to repenting if you need to repent. But let me say to you, a sinner can't repent. Sinners can't repent and get right with God. Now, did you notice? Did you notice that verse we read in Acts chapter 11? The Jews back in Jerusalem, when Peter told what had happened, Cornelius hadn't repented at all. Cornelius just still sitting there, just hearing a message, taking it in. And apparently his heart believed what he heard, and the Holy Ghost fell on him. And it says later in Acts chapter 15 that God purified their hearts by faith. You understand? So, so Cornelius is just as pagan as anybody. And he's standing there, and he get, or sitting, sitting there, and, and he gets baptized with the Holy Ghost and spoke, speaking in tongues. And Peter says, wow, these people must have had their hearts purified by faith. Look at that. Look at that. They didn't do anything. And Peter was running to what worked. In, at, 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 I know his message was, was being crafted so that he could get to say what he said in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for you, and you shall receive the remission of sins. And that worked for the Jews because the people of the covenant needed the repentance message. They could repent. They could change the way they think. But a sinner, a hardcore <coughs> Gentile, can't repent. What's he going to change his, what is he going to do for him to change his mind? He's got to be born all over again on the inside. That does, changing your mind doesn't do anything about that. <clears throat> you just become a Mormon that way. <laughs> I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just saying you just become a cultist. That way, change the way you think. Yeah. That's all the word repent means, by the way. We believe that you've got to be born again because the Bible teaches that. Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born all over again. And that's, that, that's a work done by the Spirit. And how it happens in the new covenant is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that what he did settled the score, score between you and God. That rebirthed you, made you a brand new creature on the inside. And now what the Jews said must have happened with Cornelius is God has granted repentance. Oh, so the moment you believe and you're made righteous, God just gives it as a gift. God gives the repentance to you. God gives your change of mind to you. You don't have to work at changing your mind. You don't have to work at repenting. You don't have to bawl and squall and run to the altar every time a preacher preaches good. That's what I was raised in. Every Sunday night we got saved again. 
Anybody know here know what I'm talking about? Especially if they had an evangelist scene. I got saved twice every time he came. <laughs> it's just goofy. But it looks good. The altars were full. They always say that. The altars were full. Yeah, the A-L-T-A-R-S, the altars were full. But what I want to know is, was there any A-L-T-E-R being done? Was there any any alterations taking place in their lives? Because everything is just a religious exercise until faith steps up to the center stage and says, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe Christ rose again from the dead. Praise God. After he was buried for three days. Amen. I believe the gospel. That's the real gospel. It's the real one. It's the real one. There's a whole bunch of them out there, but that's the real one. Paul said that's what the real one was. He died for our sins. Come on, can I have a good amen in this house? Amen. This is good preaching. Holler, you're doing good. I don't care if they like it. I'm with you. (laughs) Number 22. The ministry of Jesus is, was, and always will be fivefold. I'm going to rush through this because I did a strong teaching on this a few months ago already. Taught you about the fivefold ministry. But let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Number 21 is the ministry of Jesus is, was, and always will be fivefold. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave, in this giving, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Five, the fivefold ministry of Jesus. Jesus was all of these, the apostle and high priest of our confession. God, who at sundry times and divers manners, Hebrews chapter 1, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, meaning that Jesus is now God's last day prophet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He won more people to Jesus. He won more people to God, I should say. He won them to himself. He, he, won, he won more people. People outside, outside the, you know, the, the realms of goodness and decency, he'd win them to Jesus. He didn't, he didn't talk to Gentiles, pure Gentiles, but he did talk to Samaritans. And not just a Samaritan, but a woman who couldn't make up her mind how many times she'd been married, how many men had been in her life. She was not, she was not the head of the PTA. That's why she had to draw water up in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, because the other women didn't want her around her. That's, that's what knowing a little bit about history helps you, helps you understand why she's out there in the noonday in the heat. Okay? Jesus was an evangelist, won her. He's the great shepherd, the pastor, that's what the word means. Poimain means to feed. It also can be translated pastor or shepherd. And then teachers. He, he ran by the, by the name of rabbi or master. They've translated rabbi or master. That's, he was the teacher. Okay? So that's who Jesus is. And he gives his church the fivefold ministry as an expression of himself. I, I don't know if you, you all are aware, most of you are aware of this. Our elders know this is how Miss Ann and I operate. In, in our giftings, in our giftings, my gifting is more apostolic than it is pastoral. I am technically the senior pastor of this church, but I operate more in an apostolic way. As all, you, you know, I have, I have a, a 
about 20 churches and about 10 other ministries besides those 20 churches that I give oversight to. And these people look to me for leadership. And, I'm, and I teach at Christ for the Nations and, and all such as that. But that's my apostolic role. That's what my real calling is. Miss Anna, on the other hand, she's a called pastor. She's a called anointed pastor. You know, I, I'm just going to clue you in. If you want to get a hold of us, if you call my number, I might call you back. I, I might. Uh, but probably not. Uh, you know, unless, I, unless you call me two or three times or four in a row, and I say, okay, this is really important. I better take it. Because I have, to, I have to prioritize because I get so many phone calls. You can't even imagine the texts and phone calls and things that I get. It's ridiculous. I just have to prioritize. But if you call Miss Ann, she's going to pick up that phone right then, right now. And if she can't, she's going to call you right back, and she's going to be praying for you all the time. Because if you call her, she knows you probably got some issue or some trouble or something. She's the prayingest woman I've ever known. I mean, and God just uses her amazingly. She loves you. She cares about you deeply because she, in her heart, really is your pastor. Everybody understand that? Everybody, everybody get that? And I'm going to talk about the ministry, the five-fold ministry, being open to women later. It's one of the things I think has to be set straight in the church. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about it. It's one of the big things that we, that we talk about in this, in this teaching. I'm going, to, I'm going to spare you any more of, of that number 22. And let's move on to number 23. All the New Testament writers spoke in tongues. I'm going to take a little time with this, but not much because I've already said it. Number 23, it is, it's understood that, that we must focus on the Scriptures because the Scriptures were written by the Holy Spirit. Take, would you up there, youngin, uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 16 and 17. Is that Whitney? All I can see is the top of her head. <laughs> Second Timothy three sixteen. I like the three sixteens, don't you? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse seventeen. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works okay so all scripture is given by inspiration of god but you you need to understand how it applies that does not mean that all of leviticus applies here if a leviticus applied today we'd have to slaughter animals here okay but there are things in the book of leviticus and exodus and numbers and all of the law that do apply to us if they are promissory let me let me show you that like this exodus 15 exodus 15 26 let's turn there Exodus 15, 26. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear and keep his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, one of the great covenant names of God is found right here. Jehovah Rapha. Saints, this is not a good promise for you. This is not a good promise for you. This is not where you need to get your healing from. Because look at the conditions. Look at the conditions. You've got to keep all of the statutes, every single jot and tittle of the law you have to perform before you can claim this promise. 
And Peter said in Acts chapter 15, he said, we were never able to do it. We were never able to do it. That's why when Jesus arrived, that's why when Jesus arrived, they brought thousands of sick people to him. They had a covenant with Jehovah Rapha, God their healer. But when Jesus gets there, the whole nation is sick. You understand what we're saying here? There's no way to get this promise to work for you. The Jews couldn't. Let me tell you something. If the Jews can't, Jews can't. I like seafood too much. I like catfish too much. Y'all know I like bacon. There's no way for us to keep, no way for us to do this. Don't be claiming this promise. <laughs> Just claim that by his stripes I am healed, praise God. And he is your Jehovah Rapha, but not on the basis of how you perform. He's my Jehovah Rapha today on the basis of how Jesus performed, glory to God. The gospel made all the difference. It's all about what Christ did. Not about me performing so I can get something from God. It's about me believing that Jesus paid a terrible price so I could have everything God ever promised anybody. But you don't know, if you don't know that the promises are yours, you won't use your faith. And faith is the key activator for everything that God ever promised. You find the promise, and you say, this is mine on, 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 not on the basis of how I perform, but this is mine on the basis of how Jesus performed for me. I claim my healing, Jehovah Rapha is my God. Amen. Glory to God. And all these statutes have already been fulfilled on my behalf because of Jesus. All these laws, all these things. And God will never put another disease on me. Praise God. God will never put another disease on me. God will never put a disease on me because Jesus took all my diseases at the same time he was taking all of my sin. Come on, somebody say amen. This is good stuff out here. Number 24. Number 24. Righteousness comes by faith only. Righteousness comes by faith only. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. Romans 4, 3. We're going to read, I don't know, six verses or so. Romans 4, 3. Paul has the most startling revelation here. Romans 4 and 5, shocking things this dude says. I mean, he, he, he's even smarter than Israel when it comes to the Bible. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, Israel's smart, but boy, that Paul. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted counted unto him for righteousness. Look at verse 4. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace. If you're working for it, you can't say that you got your reward by grace, but of debt. If you're working for it, you have to say, I got it because I was owed it. That's what that's saying. I didn't get, I worked for it, so I don't need no grace. I just want my pay. That's what that verse says. Next verse. But to him that worketh not, everybody say works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Works not, his faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6. 
Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Everybody say righteousness without works. Come on, act like you mean it. Righteousness without works. All right. Verse 8. Oh, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Next. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Let me say something. Oh, oh, don't, don't move. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The only way in the Old Testament that the Lord won't impute sin to somebody is if they don't commit sin. The only way in the Old Testament for this to be true, for God not to impute it, was if you didn't do it. But look who he says is saying this. David saying it. Oh, pardon me. I read his story. He did it. <laughs> I read his story. He, he did it. But he didn't die, did he? Adulterers died. He didn't die, did he? Uh-uh. He paid a high price. His son died, but he didn't die. He didn't die. He didn't die for murdering Uriah. He didn't die for sleeping with his wife. He didn't, he didn't die. He didn't die for numbering the people, even. Which God told him, if you do that, I'm going to kill you. He didn't. He knew something about it. Somehow, God stepped outside of the law to deal with David. I wonder if that's because that he's showing about when the Gentiles come in, he's going to step outside of the law to deal with us. Because whatever David was, he was quick to repent and use his faith to believe that God had raised him up. He kept believing, I'm God's anointed. Come on, you ought to tell two people at least, I am anointed by God. You are the tabernacle of David. And the only, reason, the only way this makes any sense, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, is that he's blessed if he's done sin, if he's committed sins, but God won't impute them to him. He imputes them to somebody else. What, Dave, what God did for David was he laid David's sin on Jesus in advance of Jesus coming because Christ was already slain before the foundation of the world. God knew that that blood was going to kick in one day and pay for David's sins. So God just retroactively made it work right then for him because of his faith. Ooh, he'll do big stuff for you if you'll believe him. Glory to God. And righteousness just comes one way, by faith only. Amen. Can I have a good amen? amen. Oh, I love that. Well, I'd like to preach for about an hour and a half on that, but I'm going to move along. I want to get to number 25, and I'm almost finished. Can you, can you give me just 10 more minutes? Who'll give me 10? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Number 25. Women can do anything in ministry. I got two female amens. Praise God. That's, that's encouragement enough. I want to talk to you without too much documentation, but I just want to give you some, some documentation here. Women can do anything in ministry. And I know what Paul was talking about in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Trust me, I've studied all of these intensely. I see what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about I suffer not a woman to teach and so forth. Uh, that has to have some kind of cultural edge to it since Timothy was the pastor, the overseer of the Ephesian church. And the church at Ephesus, remember, was crazy about the goddess Diana. <coughs> Female deity worship. 
So Paul was pretty concerned about this Ephesian church not having a female leader during the teaching. So as to try to establish the church, not so much on male leadership, but on the truth about God, that they would see deity differently than seeing it female like they always had. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? The reason I know he had to be talking to him in a cultural sense, and this is how you learn to interpret the Bible, is because Paul himself had numerous women helpers who preached for him, who carried his letters. Phoebe carried the letter of Romans. Ugh. Phoebe carried the letter that Paul wrote probably in Philippi to the Romans. He may have written it in Corinth, but we're not really certain. But he, she carried that letter to the, the most important letter he wrote probably. He put it in the hands of a woman who went to Rome, the capital city of the universe at the time. And when a messenger, when one of these messengers, here's what history tells us, when the messenger went there, it was the messenger's obligation to unroll that scroll and read it to the inhabitants. So who first read and announced to the Romans the gospel of Paul, the gospel of Christ? Phoebe did, a woman. The most significant church in the ancient world, she unrolls that scroll and reads the, the letter of Romans to the church there and then hands it to the leaders after she's through reading it. Wow. Wow. That's why he named her like he did in Romans 16. But I want to talk to you about another woman. A woman who had a husband named Aquila. If you speak Spanish, you would say Aquila. He wasn't a killer. He was a good guy. Aquila. Aquila and Priscilla. Six times they are mentioned in the Bible. Not one of those times is he mentioned without her. Not even once. Three of the six times her name is mentioned first in the text. Meaning when Paul's writing about her, about them, her name comes to mind first to put in the text. Everybody understand what we're saying here? She, I believe, was his great, greatest partner of the two in teaching and preaching. The most eloquent man in the Bible. And in fact, the New Testament only says there was, says there was one guy that, it, that, that the New Testament describes as eloquent. His name was Apollos, a Jew from Alexandria, named after a Greek god. <laughs> a Jew named after a Greek god. Apollos, follow me. She and her husband find him. They sit him down and straighten out his doctrine concerning Jesus. He was messed up a little bit. At least he was lacking some revelation. This is, you can find the story in Acts chapter 18. Wow. She straightened out the most eloquent guy. said he's mighty in Scripture, but Priscilla straightened him out. Wow. Where'd she get all this? Who is she? Now listen, I know what you're thinking, but it says Aquila too. Yeah, I know it says Aquila too. But in that day, 2,000 years ago, it's just kind of unheard of that women were that strong. But God's saying something. He anointed this woman in a powerful way. 
And that day, they're not going to name her without him if she's married. I say Aquila was probably getting honorable mention. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. I'm just saying he's never mentioned without her. I, had, I told somebody this story one time, and they said, well, she's just getting honorable mention because she traveled with, with him. I said, okay, then that means you can tell me Peter's wife's name because she traveled with him. Tell me Peter's wife's name. The great Peter? The great apostle Peter? The walk on water, drop them dead in their tracks, Peter? If, if Priscilla's getting honorable mention, tell me Peter's wife's name. Uh, I don't know. Then it ain't honorable mention she's getting. Somebody's getting honorable mention here, but it's not her. Am I helping you at all? Take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Am I explaining the Bible good enough to you today, darling? Do I, do I need to slow down or speed up or anything? No? Oh, okay. Hebrews chapter 1, we're talking about women in ministry. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God. That's why we know Paul didn't write this. All i got to do is read the first word of the book of Hebrews, and I know Paul didn't write it. You understand that? Every letter Paul wrote starts with the same word. Anybody know what, letter, what word it starts with? Paul! He wants you to know right up front who's writing this letter. He ain't ashamed. He ain't a scared. <laughs> he's, not, he's not afraid to tell you who's writing this. In fact, it's common knowledge in the ancient world that if you want your letter authenticated, you put your name to it. You put your name to it. Well, and there are other proofs. I, I could take time and show you other, lots of other proofs why we know Paul did not write this. However, it's so Pauline. It's so Paul-like. It sounds like something he would do. If he's writing to the Hebrews, it sounds just like something Paul would tell them. It's so crazy. We want to say, this had to be Paul. This just has to be Paul. But it ain't Paul. We know it's not Paul. Chapter 2, he says that, that we, 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 know the, we know the gospel. We know about the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in all this because all the miracles and those who went before us told us these things. Well, that's not Paul. Paul always acted like he didn't care who Peter, James, and John were. He said, I don't know. They were somebody. They were some, you know, actually, read, read, read Galatians chapter 2, how, how he talks to me. He said they seemed to be pillars or something. I don't know. But whatever they were, it doesn't make any difference to me. <laughs> what? He talked talk like Peter, James, and John like they were the janitors. He does. Almost no respect for them at all. Nah, they, were, they were big shots of some kind. Didn't matter to me. He said, in fact, they never taught me anything. That's what Paul says. They never taught me anything nor added anything to me. He said, the revelation I got, I got straight from Jesus. Paul did not say that. and He could not have written Hebrews. He calls Timothy... Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 calls Timothy our brother. Paul would never call Timothy his brother. He said, my son, Amen. every time he refers to Timothy. You following me yet? Lots of reasons why Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews. But it sure sounds like him otherwise. Doctrinally, whoo, it's him. Who knew Paul so well? All you've got to do is read Acts chapter 17, 18, 19. You're going to see who, who knew Paul well, who traveled with him, who was with him all the time. 
through a certain period of time, who he set in, in place in really strategic moments. He set, he set them in Ephesians to oversee, or in Ephesus to oversee the Ephesian church before he did Timothy. Who did he, who did he pour into? Who knew Paul's doctrine like that? And who was a bit shy about putting a name to this book of Hebrews? Why not, a, why not the most eloquent man? Well, there are three candidates. There are three good candidates. And here they are. You ready for the good candidates that the theologians bat around? Barnabas. Pardon me, Barnabas didn't have that kind of revelation. All you got to do is read, read Acts chapter 2. Paul said, uh, I'm Galatians chapter 2. Paul said Barnabas backslid. He said he played a hypocrite and started acting just like Peter and them about the Jews. He didn't have this revelation. He's a good man, but he didn't have that revelation. Secondly, they say, then Timothy. No, Timothy's in the book, talked about in the book. Said, our brother Timothy will soon be released to you. Pardon me, Timothy's not going to lie. Act like he's not him. Mm-hmm. And the third one is Apollos. Well, who wouldn't, if he's the most eloquent speaker in all the land and he's Jewish, if you're Apollos and you want this letter to be believed, why wouldn't you attach your name to it? There's no reason for him not to stick his name on it. Loved by millions of people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people at least, loved Apollos. One of the most beloved men in the Bible. Mighty in scriptures. Why would he not put his name to it? The only thing I can figure out is he didn't write it. But somebody who knew Paul's doctrine intimately and powerfully, who had a real good reason not to put her name on this book, You may, like, you may like me, you may not, but I'm going to tell you, I'm fully and thoroughly convinced that Priscilla wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, they didn't throw one tomato, did they? They didn't throw anything at me. People are always asking, in my, in my circles, who wrote the book of Hebrews? I usually just say, well, I got a pretty good idea, but you won't like it. <laughs> I got a pretty good idea. And she was Jewish too, by the way. All scripture, all the scripture written by Jews. The, 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 the historical church is flat out wrong about Luke. Luke was a Jew. Absolutely. The scriptures do not come through anybody else. What advantage then has the Jew? Much every way. First of all, that the oracles of God were entrusted to them. All Jews that wrote, wrote the Bible. I didn't document all those times because, uh, about uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla because I want you to do that yourself. I want you to just type in their names and find the six references and see how many times she's named first. Now, I, I will admit, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, Israel. There is a chance she didn't write it. But of all the people that we, that we know, I think she's by far the best candidate. Have written it. Maybe she and Aquila together because they did work together. He was a great man. And so is Dave Myers. Everybody know who Dave Myers is? Everybody know who Dave Myers is? George Myers' husband. Yeah, that's, that's sort of Priscilla and Aquila, I believe. Amen. Women can do anything in ministry.
Jesus had women follow him in ministry, so forth and so on. The people who, who keep women out of, out, of, out of ministry in the church, they let women do everything in the church. In fact, if it wasn't for women, we wouldn't have a church. Because men aren't going to vacuum the floor. Men aren't going to... Now, I know Bobby does. Bobby does. Where are you, Bobby? Yeah, Bobby does. But men, men for the most part, don't, they're not going to go out there and cook the meals and do the things that we do to have our fellowship here. Not going to tend the babies. Not going to run a nursery and have all that we have. It's all women are doing all that. We don't want women, women being completely silent in the church, do we? Uh, even though the scripture says, let your women be silent in the church. Again, this has to be culture because no church has women be silent. Their shoes make noise when they walk across the floor. You follow me? Even those churches that say women have to be silent in the church, the women are allowed to sing. Is that being silent? Can I have a good amen? You understand what we're saying here? Amen. Women can do anything in ministry. I want to release the women to be used in ministry. Not just because my wife. I've had to, I've had to pull her. I've had to pull her. She was never elbowing her way to the front. Everything, everything she did, I've had to, honey, you're full of power. Because she was raised in a tradition. Let me tell you, she was raised in a tradition that said women have to keep silent in the church. And it just branded her. She's full of this power. I've got one story to tell you. I'm almost finished. One day, Miss Ann and I were with a friend, and we were going to go with him. He's going to go buy a new car. And I didn't know it, but this guy was a trained paramedic, but he was in Bible college with us at the time. We were, we were in our early 20s. And we're headed out, out south of Dallas and hit that loop. They, 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 it's, it's Interstate 20 now, but it was, it's all part of the 635 thing, you know. But it's south, I-20 that goes south of Dallas. We got out there, and we turned east and headed around toward Mesquite. And as we're going, we see a car on the side of the road jacked up like this. It's on one of those big bumper jacks. And you can see the hood from com coming from behind it. You see the hood up in the air like that. And we get up there beside it, and there's a guy laying there on his back with his feet toward his car like he had been cranking on that bumper jack, got real hot, and then just passed out. Big, heavy man. And Jim, who's driving our van, his van, uh, says, oh, it looks like a heart attack. He said, I'm a, I'm a paramedic. i, I got to stop. So we, we all jumped out, ran back there. And <clears throat> Jim goes to working on this guy. And, I mean, he's turning really ugly shades of green and purple Ugh. terrible looking sad looking and I don't know what to do but Miss Ann raised in a church I, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you what denomination she was raised in because it wouldn't be right but I, I'll give you this little clue it's a church that doesn't believe in having a piano in the church <laughs> uh, oh you figured it out anyway that's that's where she was raised and so and they didn't believe in hardly anything you know all kinds of stuff we don't believe this don't believe that don't believe this and they certainly didn't believe in laying hands on the sick and casting out devils and raising the dead and stuff. Didn't believe in any of that. But she had just read the book about Smith Wigglesworth called The Apostle of Faith. Anybody here ever read that book? Oh, you've got to get The Apostle of Faith and read it. About the guy named Smith Wigglesworth. She had just read that book. And there we are, and we've got a guy here lying on the side of the road, and he's dying, if not already dead. We don't know. And Jim jumps down there. He starts, he starts committing that CPR. 
he's breathing. He don't have a bottle or anything like that. You know, back in those days, it was mouth to mouth. I'd never seen two men in that position before. I never had it. Was that, that all by itself was kind of gross, you know. So I kneel, down, I kneel down on one side of the guy, and he's breathing into the guy's mouth, and the guy throws up, and Jim just wipes it away and goes right back for more. Like, Ooh, woo, man, alive. <laughs> Trained paramedic, you know. He's, he just, he's going out trying to save the guy's life, pumping on his chest, and he's breathing in his mouth and pumping on his chest, and, and nothing's happening. He's getting worse. And I knelt down there on one knee, you know, and I got the guy by the hand. And I'm praying, oh, God, don't let this guy die. Oh, Father, help him. Jesus, Lord, you're bigger than this. God, do something. You know, praying that kind of prayer that everybody else in the world would pray. My little COC wife, she's around on this other side like this. And Jim says, I'm losing him. I'm losing him. I'm losing him. He whispered it, but real loud, hoping that his wife and the two other women that were over there, one or two other women that were over there, uh, uh, couldn't hear it, but they heard it. You went, ah! They're just dancing for, for terror, the two, the two women, especially the guy's wife. But when Jim said, I'm losing him, Miss Ann just fell down on her knees and slammed both hands right on the guy's chest. And she said, no, in the name of Jesus, I command you to live. You will live and not die. Death, take your hands off him. That's what the dead guy said. No, he didn't say that. But what he did do was took a big breath and color rushed into his, into his flesh. And Jim said, oh, he's got a heartbeat. Ooh, I think he's going to make it. And I'm still looking at her. I said to him, I don't think, she's, I don't think he's got a choice. And then I think, I could have said that. I'm a Pentecostal. I should have said that. <laughs> ask, that ask that guy who was dying. And about that time, an ambulance arrived and took him off. And as far as we know, he survived because of Jim said, it looks like he's going to make it now. Had a regular heartbeat. Ask that guy if women can do anything in ministry. Amen. Amen. Ask that guy if women ought to mind their own business and stay in the nursery. Uh-huh. That's that guy. He was, he was looking at hell is what he was looking at. That's what I imagine. And God gave him another chance. Listen, women can do anything in ministry. Young, young girls, if you feel like God's called you to preach, you tell Miss Ann and me about that. I know where there's a great Bible college that trains women to preach. I teach a course called homiletics. It teaches preachers how to preach. Y'all know preachers, don't just, they're not just born knowing how to preach. Yeah, you've been to some of those churches where they thought they were. <laughs> yeah, preachers have to be taught how to preach. And I uh, teach this course, and, and every semester, it has never failed to be this way. Not even one time have the men ever preached better than the women. And we've got a, criteria, a critique sheet, a criterion that we, by which we operate, and they have to, I mean, this guy right over here scored 100. Everett, he scored 100. Christy, what did you score? She scored a 99. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to make 100 in that class. I mean, usually a small percentage, 5, 6, 8%, something like that. Never has it happened in the history of that class, and I've been teaching it. I've taught it 20-some-odd times now. I used to teach it every semester. Have we ever had more guys score 100 than women? Sometimes it's 50-50. 
If it's an even number, sometimes it'll be, you know, 10, 10 out of the 100 or so or, or, or more. Uh, there'll be five guys and five girls. But if it's an odd number, it's going to be five girls and four guys. It's been that way every single time. Was it that, was it that way with your time? It's that been that way every time. And I think, Lord, according to some people, you don't call women to preach. But they sure are better preachers than the men. What's up with that? What's up with that? You give them the skills, but don't let them do it. That's just nonsense. That is just nonsense. By the way, in a few weeks, you're going to hear Miss Ann preach again. I talked her into it. <laughs> Come on, amen, amen. She's a fine little preacher. But... I believe that you have a dream inside your heart, not just the women, everybody here. You have a dream inside your heart, and God wants to use you and give you what you want. That dream inside your heart, He put there. You're not just dreaming from, from bad pizza. You're dreaming, you're dreaming from the Holy Ghost. He put that in you to make you all that you could be, to give you more than you, can, than you could ever imagine you had.